Well, today we will be back in Luke. Uh, we are gradually making our way through. And I just am really enjoying this. I hope that you are as well. I do appreciate your feedback. Um, so I, I encourage you to let me know how I'm doing, ways that I can improve, things that you've appreciated. But today we are, we are looking at Luke 2, 21 to 40. And uh, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And last time we talked about how the shepherds were summoned and they came and they saw the king and they went and spread abroad the fact that the king of all the world had been born. And we pick up the narrative with Luke chapter 2, 21. It says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. So, the first point that I have this morning is that Joseph obeys God's commands. You know, some people, most notably the Catholics, they kind of believe that Mary became sinless because she had Jesus within her. Now, of course, Jesus helps us to sin less, and he is hopefully making us more and more sinless as time goes on. But none of us are perfect. And as we read in Luke chapter 1, Mary rejoiced in God her Savior. She knew she needed a Savior. But I do want to point to the fact that Joseph was chosen to be Jesus' stepfather because he had character. Because he was following God. And as we'll read in one of our cross-references in a few minutes. Because he was a just man. And uh, so the first thing I want to mention is that on the eighth day, he was circumcised. And his name was called Jesus because that was the name that he was given from the womb. There was another baby that we just read about recently who was given a name from the womb. And that was John. John the Baptist. And this was totally countercultural because people would often give their babies, especially their oldest, family names. But Jesus, both Mary and Joseph were told his name is Jesus. And when an angel shows up to tell you something, it's pretty important. So, that's the first thing that I want to point out. And then, as it is written, in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Isn't it interesting 
that Jesus was Mary's firstborn. And if anybody could be called holy to the Lord, most definitely our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is and was and will continue to be that. Um, and then we see the sacrifice that was required to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And uh, so we, we see that Moses, Joseph was dedicated to doing things according to what the Lord required. Can we look at Matthew 119? And then if somebody can also be looking up Leviticus 12, 6 to 8. If we can read Matthew 119 and then go right into Leviticus 12, 6 to 8. Appreciate it. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away to secrecy. All right, so the first one, Joseph being a just man. When God looks for people to do his will, he often looks for people that are already doing his will. So one of my challenges for you this morning is if you want to know what God's will is for your life, what are you doing for him now? What are you doing in the sphere of influence that he has given you now? If you want to be a missionary overseas, that's great. I commend you for that vision. But how many people have you told about Jesus in your neighborhood this week? See, I believe this is your training ground. And I believe that if you are faithful here, and God wants you somewhere else, he will send you to that other place. But if you're not faithful in what he's already given you, what basis does he have to send you elsewhere? Could we hear... Leviticus 12, 6 to 8. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. She shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Okay, so this just gives us the historical context for what Joseph was doing at the temple when he brought Jesus to the temple. He was fulfilling the, the Old Testament law that was prescribed at the time. And what was it that Jesus said? I am come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so I think it's significant that um, 
even the very Son of God was subject to the laws of the Old Testament. Getting back to our text here. I just have this quote from Thomas Akempis. Um, he says this, Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. You know, a lot of times people talk about God being love. And I, I have some friends that talk about how God has worked in their life. But they're not living according to God's standards. They think that they can pick and choose what God says. God has very high standards. In some ways, grace is a higher standard. Because knowing what God did for us and knowing what we couldn't do for ourselves should compel us to holy living. The second part of this is Luke 25-35. Simeon, a prophet of God, foretells the future and sees a promise kept. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem who, whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy words. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I just want to break up a couple points here too. Simeon was devoted to God. And as such, God made a promise to Simeon. He made a promise to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen Christ. And the significance of this is that God is a promise keeper. I might make you a promise that I'll be here next month. But if I get sick or if God calls me home, guess what? My promise hasn't been kept. But God always keeps his promises. 
And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for this promised Messiah. He no doubt had read in Isaiah where it said, a sign shall be given and a virgin shall conceive and will bear a son. You know, there were a lot of Pharisees in that day that read Isaiah. But when Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61 and said, I'm come to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And then he said, surely this day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. They dragged him out of the synagogue and tried to stone him because they did not believe the truth of the very words that they were supposed to abide by. But Simeon, Simeon knew. He knew that he wouldn't die until he saw Jesus Christ. And more than that, even though Jesus was a baby, and not the warrior that many Jews thought he should be to release them from Rome. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah because he had the Holy Spirit. And when they brought him, he took him up in his arms. And I wonder sometimes what this must have been like. Because most people don't just let strangers take their babies into their arms. Now it's possible that since Simeon was a man of God and he was in the temple that Joseph and Mary knew who he was but it's equally as possible that they didn't but it says that he took the child in his arms and said Lord now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word isn't it a blessing that as believers when we depart this earth we can depart in peace we don't have to depart in anxious tribulation. We don't have to wonder. John said of his gospel, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Some of you may know our dear sister, Mary Watson, who has spent over 50 years in the Congo as a missionary. For the last six years, she has been residing at Rest Haven Homes in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she's been attending Grace and Truth Assembly for the majority of that time. And I've enjoyed getting to know her a little bit. But she was very unassuming. So there was a lot she didn't talk about and a lot she didn't tell us. And as I was sitting at her funeral this past week, I just kept thinking, Lord, thank you for Mary. Thank you for someone who is willing to do your will even at great sacrifice. And um, I, whenever I go to a Christian's funeral, I am even more encouraged to keep on keeping on, to do the things that God has called me to do. For now is the day, and the night is coming, when no man can work. So my encouragement to you is you don't know how many days you have left. But... I can tell you this, you'll be invincible until God calls you home.
I have stared death in the face at least three times. And each time I've come out. And sometimes when I see other people pass away from similar circumstances as I was in, I sit there and I scratch my head and I say, Lord, why did you take them and leave me? And I haven't had any extremely solid answers except for this, that until my time has come, I will be here. And because I'm here, I will be serving the Lord to the best of my ability. But the point here is that Simeon's coming to the end of his life. God tells him, you will not die until you see my Christ. And the promise is fulfilled. And he says, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared for the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and a glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Now they were told that Jesus was the Son of God. But I bet they spent their whole lives, Joseph and Mary, trying to figure out exactly what that meant. And it must have been a real challenge to try to raise him along with their other children who were imperfect and who, in fact, did not believe in their brother at first. We know that James and Jude both did at a later time and they wrote epistles to the church. But can you imagine living in that home and having your parents say to you, why can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) That would have been an interesting childhood, to say the least. But it says they marveled. They were amazed. They were contemplating all this, trying to figure out how it all fit. And then it says, Simeon blessed them. Now this doesn't sound like a very encouraging blessing to me in some ways, but the ultimate truth of it is. Simeon blessed them and said unto them, to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken again, yea, a sword will pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When I read these verses, I think of a time which we read about in the breaking of bread. When Mary, 30 years later, 33 years later, was standing at the cross of Jesus And no doubt she was weeping because as hard as it was for his disciples who were with him for three years, imagine how hard it was for the one who had changed his diapers, who had taught him to walk, who had been there when he said his first words who had watched him as he joined Joseph in the carpenter's shop. Imagine 
what it was like for her to see her son suspended between heaven and earth on a Roman cross and his only crime was that he was perfect and that he loved all of mankind what agony she must have gone through And there's the sword. There is the sword that Simeon was talking about. Can we look at Psalm 98, verses 2 and 3? Just by way of cross-reference. Psalm 98, verses 2 and 3. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So God made known his salvation. The disciples said it this way, John said in 1 John, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which our hands have handled. You know, John leaned on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. And he constantly refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now we know that Jesus didn't play favorites. We know that he loved each of his disciples. But how wonderful must that relationship have been between John and Jesus that he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. And that he was the only disciple that didn't run away from the cross. He was standing there with Mary. And Jesus looked down at him and said, Woman, behold thy son. And then he looked at John and said, Behold thy mother. See, the thing that always makes me excited about Jesus is that even as he's fulfilling his heavenly duty, he doesn't forget his earthly one. As the oldest son in the Jewish culture, he was expected to take care of his mother, and he did. If the Son of God can take care of his family, so should we. You know, I, I approach the, the, the job of being a preacher with fear and trepidation because I've seen so many preachers get so caught up in their ministry that their families suffer. And if God allows me to have a family, they will be my priority. And my ministry will be helped by that, not hindered.
God's salvation hung on that cross. And everybody saw him on that cross. And we know at least one person watching him there changed, well, at least two. At least two people watching him there changed their opinions of him. For the thief on the cross, he said, We've done nothing wrong. We've, we've, we, re- de- re- we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man's done nothing wrong. And if you read it in the book of Matthew, he had been ridiculing him minutes earlier. But at some point through his ridicule, he realized that this man was not returning evil for evil. And then he was constantly saying, you know, we, we, we think of Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do as one statement. But I've heard more than one Bible scholar say that it was a continuous thing from his lips. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And so as these words are coming off Jesus' lips, the thief on the cross realizes, hey, this guy is the real deal. He is who he says he is. And he can save me even here while I'm hanging on the cross. And the other guy said, save yourself and us. But he didn't realize that the only way he could be saved is if Jesus stayed there. And then we had the centurion, who I hope to see in heaven one day. I hope you heard the end of the story. Because he said, after supervising, watching Jesus nailed to the cross, he said, surely, This was the Son of God. So, our second point, again, was Simeon foretells the future and sees a promise kept. Simeon was faithful to God and God kept his promise to Simeon. I just want to close this point with this quote. I don't know who said it, but I think it's a great one says, you can't break God's promise. You can't break God's promises by leaning on them. How hard are you leaning on the promises of God today? I know I was convicted when I read that. Because sometimes we doubt. But God's promises are yes and amen. The third and final thing that we want to look at today is Anna gives thanks to God. In Luke 2.36 it says, And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the trial of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instance, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. 
We don't know a whole lot about Anna from what's here. But we're going to look at a passage in a few minutes in 1 Timothy, which will give us a little more insight into what a, uh, a widow indeed was in the mind of Paul in the New Testament. But the point is that Anna was in the temple. She'd been a widow for many years. But she's in the temple serving God. She could have been bitter and said, God, why did you take my husband? And we don't know. She could have gone through a period of bitterness, but she, if she did, she got past it. And she was in the temple. And so she was in the place where she could see God work. You know, God is always at work. So that is not the question. The question is whether we are listening, whether we are watching, whether we are aware of what God is doing. And we can only be that if we clear away the distractions. If we allow God to be our one consuming desire. See, some people have a, have a basis for God as their desire. They say that God is their desire. But really, fame and notoriety is their desire. Because they would get up to this pulpit and they would tell you all day long that God is love. But they would fail to tell you that the love of God put Jesus on a cross. That he hung there for hours in pain and agony. Not to mention the spiritual agony of having his father. The one who said that he was his beloved and whom he was well pleased. Turn his face away from them. So that Jesus on the cross would say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's kind of a shame that at that point many people thought he was calling for Elijah. When in fact he was calling for his father. We can't even imagine what it was like for all sins, past, present, and future, from the Garden of Eden to the end of time, to be poured out on him. My sins alone would be a, a weight that anyone less than Jesus would not be able to bear. But I'm thankful that they're covered by the blood today. <clears throat> Not just covered, but washed away. Do you have the same assurance? Can you say with utter assurance that if you were to die today, that you'd be home with the Lord? 
Can you say with assurance that if Jesus sounds the trumpet today, that you'll be caught up with him? I can tell you this, this wheelchair will be empty. Because I'm going. And I want you to go too. It's going to be so much better than anything that we have down here. And I'm so excited. Hmm. Just wanted to share this final quote. It's from Today in the Word from December of 1989. Dr. George Sweeting once estimated that more than a fourth of the Bible is predicted prophecy. Both the Old and the New Testament are full of promises about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament and 17 more 17 Old Testament books give prominence to them. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return, one out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on Christ's second coming. Now, I'm just going to make reference to the other cross-reference I had in here, um, and I would encourage you to go back and look at it, 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 14. But basically what Paul is laying out in this passage, if you go back and look at it on your own time, is the requirements for someone to be a widow indeed. He, he said for young widows that they should remarry, that they should raise children, and that they should be well taken care of by their husbands. If a woman was an older widow and was determined to serve the Lord and had exemplified that to the church, she could be taken into the church as a widow indeed and serve the church and be taken care of for that reason. And I think we need to return to that in both respects. Because I think we've gotten off track. You know, if you look at the early church, one of its main responsibilities was to care for the widow and the orphan. And yet we get so hung up today on programs and even missions for missions sake. I'm not going to say missions are wrong altogether. But even missions for missions sake that we forget about the primary responsibility of the church. And that's to care for each other. And as we care for each other, then we will be given the opportunity to branch out and care for others. We need to make sure that we include inreach in our ministry. And don't get so hung up on outreach that we forget those in our midst. I hope that we have learned today from the examples of Joseph and Mary, from the example of Simeon, and from the example of Anna. I don't know if God's going to let us live to be old or not. But however long he lets me live, I want to be doing his work. And 
then I can rejoice in whatever blessings he gives me along the way. My prayer is the same for you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord go with you this week and bring you back again in his will next Lord's Day. Thank you very much.